because you are in many ways blessed and in honour of the fact that you've arranged to get married at a farm in 2022 is this what's happening yeah you're doing an ode to my love we are gonna do a valentine's day episode to celebrate love in all of now haven't i moved the microphone celebrate love in all of its forms okay so this is me and kate don't celebrate valentine's day never have but you do celebrate your love yeah yeah we bought ourselves a puppy there you go so everything's happy in the world of jack and kate and we will celebrate this on this Valentine's Day it episode. It is pretty rad at the moment. Yeah. We'll celebrate that. He's pulling something from under the table. <laughs> is that a confetti cannon or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I should buy a confetti cannon, actually. So. <coughs> he's so excited by the celebration of his love that he's just spontaneously <laughs> choked to death. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... I hate to get boring, but I will. No. So I won't. Yeah. So this story begins in the Georgian era. We've just been there. Oh, we were there with one of your more recent episodes, yes. We have been to the Georgians before. But this time, your three words. Husband. Yeah. Insanity. Okay. Hammer. Is it a murder? Yes, we're celebrating Valentine's Day in love with a murder. Well, it could be one of the murders where it's like avenging. Oh, right. Yeah. You yeah. killed my wife and now I'm going to kill you. With a hammer. Yeah. No, nothing quite so sexy. Or is it? Hammer of love. <laughs> You're not a million miles away. So That's how the hammer was invented. It's what? like a, it's a love gift. <laughs> My house keeps falling down. I love you so much. Here. <laughs> so, Joseph Mortimer Granville was born in Plymouth on Star Wars Day, May the 4th, 1883. 1833 even. Which... Oh, no, doesn't matter. Star Wars Day. Yeah, though sadly, as he was born in 1833, he would not live long enough to see the original trilogy. Though fortunately... But they still celebrated yeah. it. Yeah, of course. They just didn't know what it was. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, they, they were told of a time when this day would be celebrated across the universe. <laughs> and the prophecy, low was proven true in the 70s. Now, Joseph was born, like I say... May 4th, 1833. But he had spent the previous nine months living in his mother's womb. What part, is going on? A part of a woman which, since ancient times, has been acknowledged to be both essential for procreation and the cause of practically every illness that womankind can experience. Are you giving me the talk? <laughs> this is how we do it. Oh, no. Well, don't worry, because I'm nothing if not thorough. Because as far back as 180... (laughs) As far back as one... You can't read numbers. I didn't know this. I find it difficult. I can't also tell time on an analogue clock. Can can you just show me the number? You can show me the number. It's just that number there. 1825 BCE. Right, so as far back as 1825 BCE. Yeah. Thank you. Before Common Era. Yeah. The Egyptians took the time to discuss the issue of wombs as part of the Cahun Papyrus. Mm. It turned out that the womb could even cause eye problems so severe, eye problems, that the woman would have to eat a fresh-ass liver. I don't understand the logic in that. The womb can cause eye problems. Yes. Amongst other things. Is it like the sun if you stared directly in them? <laughs> no, for the woman. It wasn't if you looked at someone's womb, you'd have an eye issue. But if you look at your own womb. No. Well, if you, how would you look at your own womb? If you're looking at your own womb... That's why you've got eye problems. Well, you've got a lot more problems than just eye problems, but <laughs> it's because you were having a, a malady in your womb, you could have eye problems so severe that you'd have to eat a fresh-ass liver. As in a donkey's liver? As in a fresh-ass liver. That was the only instruction you've put ass in there no 
That was the words. Ass liver. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going off someone's translated it. I obviously can't read ancient The person who's translated that is an idiot. Has <laughs> translated it as fresh ass liver. To have any chance of recovery from this eye condition. Okay? Okay. So, if your womb causes your eye problems, eat a liver. Yeah? How do you make connection that it's your womb that's causing your eye problems? Because you're a woman and wombs are mysterious things. So, so if you have eye problems, you, you, you blame the womb. If you have any problems as a woman, then people will want to blame the womb. Though this is... I don't. The eating of the liver is better than treatment for other conditions caused by, and this, again, direct translation, terror of the womb, mm. which was a catch-all, which required fresh-ass urine instead. I'd stop saying ass. Take it out, Joe. I can't take it out. That's the direct translation. It was fresh-ass urine. You can go off script. I can. I, it's not an auto cue. You're not a newsreader. In this case, not, I don't want to. All right. We're done with the ass urine anyway. It Ugh. took another <laughs> 1,300 years or so before Hippocrates, he of medical oath fame, yeah, the Hippocratic Oath, no, no that's Pythagoras, um, was able to confirm the process by which the womb was able to be the cause of so much trouble. So the Egyptians knew that the womb was causing everything. It, it was just being a bastard, but they didn't know how it was being a so bastard. So he set up a series of trials. So uh, he just punches women in the womb. Well, no. And then asks. We don't know how he came to this conclusion, but this is his conclusion. Okay. Turns out that the womb was capable of wandering around the body, putting pressure on other organs and generally interfering with essential bodily processes as it made its merry way around your internals. But that was okay because Hippocrates had also used his new understanding to provide a, a guaranteed cure. He confirmed that if your womb was wandering, you could coax it back to its right place by putting nice-smelling things near your vagina. Yeah. At the same time as making the poor woman, who's probably got an incense stick near her downstairs area at this moment, hold bad-smelling things to her nose. So the womb would then retreat from the nose and be drawn by the nice smell back down towards where it should be naturally sitting. Right. However, if... It didn't work. If that didn't work, he would also say that a good sneeze helps. So, How are we grading a, between a bad and a good sneeze? The kind of sneeze where you... You feel invigorated. It takes a, yeah, it takes a while to come. You can, you've got a sort of aura of sneeze coming and you have to preload that sneeze and then it's a proper, you know, loud and proud... Satisfying sneeze. Yeah, the kind of All sneeze about. where... I've, 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 a cigarette. Yeah. That would also help. The other thing Hippocrates gave to this malady and to the understanding thereof was a word for it. Hysteria. Oh. Mm. Where's hysteria come from? Greek. <laughs> I don't know. Hysty. Um, you do not know Greek. Shut up. They don't <laughs> I think they've guessed. But neither of us know Greek. Matt, maybe, but he's not here. Right, can, we t can we have Matt jump in on the segment? Ask Matt. I'll see if he'll do it next time. We'll if he will, we'll cut it in. So, Thanks, Matt. That's the Greeks, though. The Greeks. I mean, what did they ever know? Stupid people, backward people. By the Roman times, the medically minded had conducted further research and decided that the womb couldn't actually move around the body like a tiny animal. It's just preposterous. Stupid Greeks. Instead, they concluded that hysteria was caused by female seed being retained in the womb where it turned toxic. Okay. Yeah. Luckily, they also came up with a simple treatment for this. Uh, universally recommended as well. Brilliant. Anyone can use this treatment and it's it's inexpensive it's as well blow in the mouth regular sex with your husband it's the only way to stop yourself becoming hysterical and having all these medical maladies you've got to have sex with your husband that's hilarious yeah good though yeah for the husbands <laughs> no this is medicinal yeah yeah all I'm good healing you <laughs> heal yeah in europe in the middle ages because we were idiots at that time hysteria was blamed on demons Taking up residence in a woman's body. So what's hysteria 
What are the symptoms of hysteria? Um, it's. I know it must change through Greek, Roman. And... Pretty much any. It's kind of a catch-all for mental illness. So right. depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, epilepsy, insomnia, yeah, anything pretty much could be. It's a catch-all term for when general a... worry. Mint. Essentially, yes. it was used as a catch-all term for when women weren't doing what you wanted. Disobedience. Pretty much, yeah. Would be a sign of hysteria. But, you know, in Europe, we got it right. It was demons. Oh. And you'd think that saying that demons had inhabited a woman's body, you need some kind of amazing cure for that. Probably involving a priest. Yeah? Who's the girl out of the exorcist? What's her name? Mm-hmm. Raymond. Raymond? <laughs> the girl Raymond. Rainer. I can't... Rain? I don't know. That little girl. Yeah, the little girl who pukes up pea soup. But they're not going to do that. No. It's not an exorcism. No, because while the cause... The power ch- of Christ compels you. Yeah, no. The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> while, while the cure... The power of... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, while the, while, while the cause of it changed quite dramatically from, you know, to... to demons um the cure was still love to, cats <laughs> nice was still to settle down with a good man and engage in regular marital coitus so if you have demons within yourself you still just need a husband and a good regular um pumping <laughs> well yeah seeing to as apparently there is not enough space inside your average woman for both a demon and a penis at the same time right so by inserting one, you force obviously the force out. the other one out, yeah, yeah. which is great. And of course, with unruly kids, priests have been using the same method. Do you see it come out? For years. Once the penis goes in, do you see like a, come on. Like, like a spirit? Come out the mouth. Oh, I thought it'd just like go around the, the, the air that's left around the sides. Oh God, like when you do the squeezy thing on Play-Doh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what happened. Like a farting slime. <laughs> the demon fad. However, relatively short-lived. And by the 17th century, doctors were back to blaming the retention of negative fluids right. as the root cause of hysteria and hysterical symptoms. So we're talking about... I can't say it. It's so gross. Go on. I can't. This is, this is the topic of conversation of the day, I'm afraid. Valentine's Day episode. I was going to say curdled spunk. No, no, no. It's got nothing to do with the man's juices. This is that? all... The woman's juices. So it's got nothing to do with what? <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? It is. Curdled spunk. It has nothing to do with Colonel Dirty. Spunk. Okay. And <laughs> you've you've just taken me off on such a tangent now. <laughs> I'm so glad I got you to say that. So don't worry, though, because although they've been flip-flopping on the cause... Yeah, it's not rancid jizz. Yeah. The cure remained the same as it had for the previous 800 or so years. However, it was now also confirmed that it was essential for the woman's health that her husband not only had sex with her, but also ejaculated inside of her as, mm. far from being curdled spunk, husband sperm had vital womb-cleaning properties that prevented further bouts of hysteria, as well as, pre- as well as protecting against all manner of other diseases. So not only was sperm not the cause of the malady, mm. it was also essential to keep that womb nice and clean all right and a spunky clean womb is a disease-free womb so now they're just you're just holding it as long as you can well now they're basically saying uh, you know this sort of early level um prophylactics that are being used the very proto condoms that are being used at the time no 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 because oh it's like it's like um it's compelling women not only to be in a relationship with a man, but also to procreate, because right. if they don't, they'll become hysterical. Is how I'm reading it, yeah? Right. However, in extremis, say you don't have a husband, or you had a husband and he died. Okay, you know, me... You've got some of these... Oh, don't make me imagine that. I just got sad. Yeah. Sorry about that. Imagine What's you're his a... name? No, don't tell me. It made me cry. You're a widower, an old Harold. You thought he was going to keep you into his old age. You're going to grow old together and see your grandkids. But unfortunately, he had the gout. It's because I like to feed him. Yeah, you like to feed him those rich meals because you know it makes him happy and you love that smile. Yeah, but I've forgotten a lot of meals just to make You've sure killed him with well kindness. Fed. And not only do you have to carry around that guilt, but you oh, now Harold. know 
that without his regular womb cleaning pumps, pumps, you are going to be liable to hysterical flights of fancy and you may end up in a lunatic asylum. But don't worry, because the doctor's got a cure for you. Because he's been advocating for genital manipulation to be offered to all females who may suffer from hysteria, unfortunate enough, no longer to have access to medicinal sex. He's going to administer it himself, isn't he? Um, well, what he's saying is, if you don't have a husband, or if your husband isn't man enough to regularly bonk you to good health, right? So this, I will massage your genitals to relieve the symptoms of hysteria for you mm-hmm. at a minimal cost. And by we mean um, digital manipulation. We're not talking penetrative um, sex with the doctor. That's that, that's no. that's not medically, um, you know, that's frowned upon in medical circles. Now, genital massage to relieve symptoms of hysteria had been practiced to some degree since Roman times, though it was a treatment normally administered by midwives, as it was below learned phys- physicians to do that. Mm. That's that's riffraff stuff. Then. They may prescribe it, but they're not going to do it. They've got much more important medical matters to attend to. Can all these women do it themselves? Well, although it was never as widespread as some people claimed, um, some historians even have claimed, there was one historian and she tried to claim that Roman in Roman times they would use percussive massage from water pressure, so basically aiming a pressurised water pipe or a hose at someone's genitals, based purely on the fact that there was some plumbing in a bathhouse in um, some part in Italy. And they're like, because they had pressurised water, this historian immediately made the leap that that meant that they were aiming this pressurised water at their fun zones, (laughs) which I think is too much of a leap considering there was no written evidence to say that this was what they were doing. Well, she 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 came across that and went, "What would I do?" I think it does speak more to her mind than it did to what the Romans were up to, yeah. which is weird considering they had orgies. Um, but even as the consensus was starting to shift towards hysteria being a disease primarily of the mind, there were still doctors in Victorian times willing to stimulate women to what were called hysterical paroxysm right. as a method of alleviating the symptoms. And there were symptoms aplenty at this time because one of the great things about the Victorian age was they tried to catalogue everything. Everything had to be understood and had to have oh, a so place. Oh, so catch-all terms had, had, had got a lot more specific. Oh, yeah, specific. Well, you say specific. Uh, an American called George Beard had written a 75-page list of symptoms that could be associated with hysteria. And he stressed in the foreword to this list the little bit that he put at the start, that this was by no means a complete list. But it's still going on now, isn't it? What's, is it? Is it DMC or something? No, that's that's not just hysteria. That's all um, psychological disorders. Yeah. Hysteria is no longer in that. It's been taken away. It doesn't exist anymore. Well, it's been anymore. subcategorized into... No, it's just things like uh, this woman is obviously suffering from anxiety or this woman is that's what I'm saying. clinically so depressed. Anxiety would have been classed as hysteria. Yeah. Depression. Instead of anxiety, this woman is suffering from anxiety it would be this woman appears anxious therefore she's suffering from hysteria right. but that would go into this woman is seeing demons she is suffering from hysteria yeah, yeah. so he wrote a 75 page list and that wasn't all the things that could be you know oh hysteria's caused that and and I know what you were saying why don't women do these why don't women massage their own genitals Smaller to alleviate arms it arms at that point in time like a T-Rex was it they wanted to but they couldn't no because one of the signs of hysteria, masturbation. Oh, so they weren't allowed. If you, if you were masturbating, you were hysterical. Therefore, you needed to go to a doctor who would essentially masturbate you. Right. For a fee. Right. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. Is it really a treatment unless a guy in a white coat is administering it? That's what you've got to ask yourself. You would feel better taken care of, I suppose. Mm. It's always more fun. Sometimes you, you'll pay money and feel better. Yeah. So, but anyway, it explains why some women were desperate enough to look to medical professionals for, for relief. Because they were providing the relief themselves and then they were told, no, no, no. That's not relieving hysteria. What you're doing is you're becoming more hysterical. Right. So in a panic, they would go for any treatment, any cure weekly sessions 
Yep. With the doctor. But pound pound. I feel we may have started going off on a tangent. So shall we go back to young Joseph Granville? I don't like that you've linked my relationship into this episode. Well, this is a story about love. Oh, you're about to come back to it. I'm coming back to Joe. All right, sorry. Young Joe Joseph. I'll, I'll use his full name. Uh, he He's Victorian. I don't think he'd appreciate the contraction to Joe. Joseph Granville. So he studied hard. After leaving his mother's womb, very scholarly young child, studied hard. And you the, went on that tangent from the word womb. I did. Magnificent. <laughs> hey, I mentioned coitus in a bit. <laughs> God. Uh, he studied hard at the age of 23. He was granted membership of the Royal College of Surgeons at 23. He got married to a nice girl by the name of Mary Ellen, and he moved to Bristol to set up a practice. Because he's 23, he's a surgeon. He can set up a doctor as a doctor, curing all manner of ills. Joseph was interested in all the latest medical advancements, and he regularly contributed to medical journals such as The Lancet, Mm. It's a very well-to-do medical journal, very well-respected medical it, journal. Yes. yes, even you've heard of it. Maybe yes. not, no. And after five years of studious work, he was admitted to the Royal College of Physicians in 1861. He was a bit of a medical magpie who devoured research papers on every conceivable topic. You should have read them instead. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I see what you did there. That was a joke. Yeah, I know. We are a comedy podcast. I feel sad. <laughs> But he was trying to cobble together a holistic view of what it means to be well. He was, before there was such a word for it, a sort of, um, you know, a sort of lifestyle coach. He was, he had the idea of being a lifestyle coach, of that all of these things interlinked. So being, having a good night's sleep linked into so good Tony, nutrition. Is it Tony Robbins? Uh, I wouldn't want to say that, but the idea that. Can he look like that? Okay, in your head if you want to. So he's a giant dude with a big smile. Yeah, you can... That, that'd be a nice way to look and think about him. Okay. But he, he was starting to see that you couldn't take, you know, just you, the sort of medical idea of wellness in isolation. It had to be linked into your lifestyle. It had to be linked into, you know, your choices in terms of what you did, in terms of your your work. All of these things contributed to what we call health. And he was kind of piecing this together through his 20s. He was also a bit of an inventor, and we do like a Victorian inventor on this show. And in the 1870s, he was granted patents for a differential thermometer that could detect tiny little changes in temperature and a patent for something called an improved sphygmograph. Right, so the first one's like a mercury... No, it's like a very, very sensitive thermometer. So you can... Looking at sort of like degrees of a degree. Oh, wow. So when you really need to know when things are changing even minutely in order to manage someone's um, condition. He he gave people the tools for doing that. And the Sigma graph. He, which you won't have heard of. Um, it was an early way of estimating blood pressure by using weights to cut off blood flow to the radial nerve in the lower arm. So you know where you can feel your pulse in your lower arm? Yeah, yeah. It would literally just keep adding successive levels of weight until it cut that off and you could no longer feel it. And based yeah. on the amount of weight you put on would base you could guesstimate blood pressure from that. Right. So it, it wasn't great, but it was better than what they had. Which was just sort of looking at the redness of someone's face. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, Cross-referencing looks... that with a chart. <laughs> just a paint swatch. <laughs> it was all right. Unfortunately for Joseph Granville, in this regard... with ooh, the... autumn rose. Doesn't look good for you, sir. However, I think I've chosen the colour for my drapes. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, you're dying. You're dying. Um, but unfortunately... Wheel for, him away. For Joseph Granville, with, with regards to his second invention, the Sphig, um, the Sphig... The Sphigmanometer... Oh, fucking hell. It's going to take about 20 tries, this. It's all right, we've got... The Sphigmanometer... Mm, no. no, that is what it's called. He was invented that. in 1880. That is a bad word. Okay, when I keep saying Sphigmanometer... Yeah. What I mean is blood pressure cuff. Okay. That, as an alternate way of checking your blood pressure, was invented in 1880. So a couple of years after he'd invented this new sphygmograph, um, which rendered his device completely obsolete. Right. But he tried. But in the meantime, people used it. Yeah. He got a couple of years out of it, you know. 
That's the speed at which medicine advances. Oh, it really was. This was a time of medical advancements, left, right and centre. It was brilliant. Uh, he was particular... still using his thermometers. Well, yeah. Right. For a little bit longer, but then they got replaced as well. Um, we don't use them today anyway. Um, well, computers and that. Yeah, it? we use lasers. Ooh. Mm. So I don't even have to touch a greasy, greasy body. But he wasn't particularly bothered because he was busy studying for his medical doctorate. Not greasy. Well, not anymore. But you've used that lotion. I've had a shower, like... <laughs> you used time. water. <laughs> <laughs> Hot water. We should keep bringing it back. <laughs> what mm. else can water do, Joe? Well, you're drinking tea. Medicinal water. Mm, flavoured. <laughs> Add bush tips. <laughs> So he wasn't particularly bothered because he was studying for his medical doctorate at St. Andrew's University, no less, in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Mm, nice university. Nice part Scotland of the world. Scotland is full of uh, locks. It is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what, are you going back to our lock episode that we did? No, I was just thinking, what, you can't have a lock without water. <laughs> you can't. Otherwise, you've just got a big hole. Yeah. Yeah. And a dead Nessie at the bottom <laughs> of it. So dry. She's so parched. Just save her. They kept feeding her whiskey. It just, just made her water. dehydrate more. <laughs> so, um, to get an MD, a medical doctorate at the time, you needed to fo- you needed to force yourself to focus on one topic, which was difficult for Joe, Joseph Grenville. Yeah. Um, but he, you could have a bounty or a Mars bar. He he was forced to because he had to write a dissertation. Yeah. Yeah. So. He decided to choose a malady that had been known about since Egyptian times. Happy one, birthday. One that had been commented on by Hippocrates himself. A condition that was known around the world. Um, hysteria. Gout. Oh. Why did you leave me there? Because I wanted you to say hysteria. I, I laid the breadcrumbs and you followed them like a cheeky little mouse. So that first 20 minutes was just to make me look like a fool. Well, no, I'm just saying that Joseph, he picked gout, which is also known as the king's, the king of diseases and the disease of kings. Or, and this is probably why he picked it as a place to specialise in, it's also known as rich man's disease. Mm-hmm. Joseph Granville, of course, wasn't an idiot. And being able to treat a disease, being able to treat it as a disease, <laughs> being able to treat a disease that was experienced predominantly by rich middle-aged men was going to provide all the funds he needed to continue his crusade to synthesise all the new medical understanding into a new theory of what it means to be healthy. So he realised that if he was considered an expert in gout, Mm -hmm. treatments were pretty well known. He could add a little bit to that sort of field and he could charge a hell of a lot of money to treat people with a hell of a lot of money. And then in his downtime, when he wasn't doing gout, he could do the stuff he really wanted to do. Right. So he's got he's got his setup going. Yeah? Morally all right. Yeah. Yeah. He achieved his medical doctorate in 1876 and, with the steady income assured from all the gouty men visiting his new surgery in London, he was free to dedicate the majority, the vast majority of his time to his real passion. He was Model gonna, planes. Uh, he was going to have a crack at writing some books. That's what he wanted to do. Is that right? What? Yeah. Yeah, books. Not model planes, I'm afraid. Oh, so it's not medical at all? He just wants to write novels? No, no, no. These are these are non-fiction books. Also, unfortunately, 1876, planes hadn't been invented yet. So it'd be model balloons. Yeah. Which isn't quite as fun. Can you make a model balloon? Yeah, papier-mâché. Just pump up a, a sheep's Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, why not? I'll yeah. do it. Add some rope. Little basket. You're away. I mean, it's not going to float, but no you can suspend it. Yeah. Oh, I don't think he was going to make money out of the model balloon thing. I don't no. want one. No. Even if he paints them. Well, painted, you know. Winter rose. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd actually, he'd actually published a book before. Three years before, in fact, entitled Why the Boy Waits. It was a series of short essays. the start of a joke. Yeah. Well, it's not. It was a series of short essays. And it's fair to say it it did perfectly capture his eclectic nature. Um, 
Though there were some chapters that covered ideas linked to medicine, so there were, uh, Granville also took the time to discuss more diverse topics, such as, and these are chapters in his book, which you can find online, Oppressive Respectability. Oppressive Respectability. Yeah. I, I can't figure that out. Okay. Well, how about this one? Dwarves! <laughs> Is it all in capitals? Yeah. Dwarves! <laughs> the Ethics of Success. Advertising. Childishness. Mm-hmm. And the last chapter in the book, got to go out on a, a bang. Got to leave people thinking, oh, you know, that was the, the ending I wasn't expecting. Final chapter, uses of the pocket. Oh, that's great. Isn't it? So there I you go. I think of two. <laughs> well, you'll have to read the book. It is, again, available on archive.org. Beautiful. The thousands and thousands of uses. I haven't read that chapter. I do just I looked to, up the chapter Do I need to title. think of pockets in a different way? You may need to. I think if you could read that and write a short essay on it and then present that to I'm me. I'm just thinking pockets in my trousers. Mm. There's, there's many different kinds of pockets, yeah. You've got the little shirt pocket that carries pens. The inner blazer pocket. I mean, some people have, like, fleshy pockets. <laughs> Those would be the gouty men that yeah. he deals with on a daily basis, yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Uses of the flesh pocket. It's like, yeah, you've got skin folds, but you can store things in there. Yeah. You know, never will you be accosted and mugged again because no one's going to be reaching into a fat man's skin fold to take their pocketbook. That's all. You'll be fine. But his new books. I suppose every human has a one special pocket. Are you talking about the prison pocket? Yeah, full of heroin and plastic kinder egg innards. Oh, oh no. Oh dear. You don't ever want to get to a situation where you actually have to use the prison pocket. If there's, if you're ever using it... Could you use it in a way where it wasn't criminal? Or you, to do criminal... Well, you could. You think of an innocent way of using you, the prison pocket. You could... Li- as a pocket to like transport something from one place to another. Well, you could, you could store anything small up in your prison pocket if you wanted to, but... Would you want to keep your travel mints there when you... you what about, not... like, uh, ten, f- ten fingers of bananas? What is a finger of banana? Are you talking about a banana? What are a bunch of bananas called? A bunch. Yeah, you couldn't fit a whole bunch of there, would you? Well, no. I like a challenge. Even if you did, I, I don't think you'd be going anywhere very quickly. Except to A&E, possibly, to have... Also, it'd rot. If I just like squatted in the corner and just kept pulling, pulling bananas out of you, just one like after a another, creepy magician. From what point would you go from horrified to impressed? <laughs> what number banana? I think anything over one. As soon as the second banana starts <laughs> to make an entrance, you, 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 you you're now proud. <laughs> well, not proud, but in awe. I don't think pride. I'd still be disgusted by you, but I'd also be impressed. But his new books were to be more focused. What the fuck are we talking about? We're talking about Joseph Granville's books. Okay. Because he's going to be an author now. He's making the money from his gouty men. And he's going to turn his hand to being an author. And his new books were going to be more focused than the thing he'd written before. uh, With a clear aim to provide short, informative guides to non-medical people in order that they, the proles the huddled masses, could better understand the breakthroughs in health and well-being that were being achieved through the industry and glory of the Victorian age. Right. Okay. He started with a focus on insanity, publishing The Care and Cure of the Insane and Borderlands of Insanity in 1877. These books presented a number of forward-thinking ideas regarding the causes of suicidal behaviour, and he also encouraged the provision of specialist training and support for people with learning disabilities, though he used a very outdated term, imbeciles, uh, in order that they could have a useful and meaningful place in society. So his argument was, putting people in asylums and giving them nothing to do mm-hmm. teaches them that they are worthless, therefore they act in that way, whereas if you take these people and give them jobs to the level that they can achieve, they get a sense of self-worth, they feel like they are participating in society and therefore they are more likely to follow the rules of society and to want to participate in society. 
Canal, he's doing this in Lake Georgian. Uh, we're in Victorian Britain now. Right, so is um, Bedlam open? Uh, yeah. Is this sort of... This is running counter to that, It's yeah. in, in contrast to Bedlam. Well, th- they were starting to get a bit more because uh, the Quakers had got involved in the asylum system by this stage and they were advocating the same sorts of things. Right, okay. That you need to give people meaningful activity, otherwise, if you treat people like they're worthless and there's no point to them, they're going to believe that they're worthless and there's no point to them, so they're not going to be motivated to try and better themselves. But yeah, it's still quite forward-thinking for when he wrote it. The following year, he published Minds and Moods, which was an almost poetic attempt to explain the mind to readers as a journey through various lands. Thoughtland, Dreamland, Cloudland, the land of forgetfulness, and Spiritland, which were later used as the basis for the levels in Mario. Is that true? No. But it should be, shouldn't it? So it is. I feel like they should all be the lands, but then forgetness, forgetfulness land should be forgetfulness world. Just to double down on the idea. Mm. Actually, talking about forgetfulness land, there's a series of five pictures that a guy with dementia, progressive dementia, did. And picture one, he was an artist, is a really good likeness of himself. And as he goes through the disease and forgets what he looks like, they become more and more abstract. And it's just the most haunting way I've seen dementia portrayed. Oh, my God, it's amazing. Mm. But, yeah. You so me that. I'll find it for Send you. Send on WhatsApp. All right. So, possibly realising he'd become a bit metaphysical with that one. Mm. It didn't sell as well. The next year, in 1879, he published Sleep and Sleeplessness and The Secret of a Clear Head, intended as self-help guides for lay readers. They were grounded, practical, filled with advice from his now quarter century of an experience as a doctor. So he was telling people about not drinking too much, about trying to relax before going to sleep, about sort of thinking about when you need to get up and what a good sleep pattern looked like. And in terms of um, the secret of a clear head, he was talking about things like, you know, segmenting your life so that your work life doesn't bleed over into your home life and taking time to do hobbies and making sure that you're taking regular exercise. He was very much, you know, today he would have been like a lifestyle blogger. Yeah. That kind of thing. But unfortunately for Joseph, all of these achievements that we've talked about so far, not what he will be remembered for. Okay? What was the last word, people? Hammer. Hammer. Mm. See... Granville, one of the things I've been reading into recently, experiments in nerve vibration as a means of treating chronic pain, some gastro disorders, and to improve blood flow. Is it the, the hammer on the knee thing? No, but that's a great thought. Oh. No, no, no. So this is vibration, fast vibrations. Um, he thought the concept had potential to help some of his gouty people to sort of deal with the chronic pain that comes with gout. Uh, so he decided he'd set about trying to build something that he could use to test this idea of percussive um, action in order to relieve pain. Uh, He patented his portable percussor in 1880, and it looked a bit like a hairdryer with a rubber head that would vibrate rapidly, allowing the physician to massage any area on the body that they chose. He invented the vibrator. Is this what's happened? He didn't think he had. Oh, you pulled it all together. But unfortunately for Joseph Granville, the doctors in both England and America who worked in the field of hysteria quickly thought of one area of the body they wouldn't mind using it on. Up until this point, the choice for genital massage had been either hydrotherapy, going back to the woman in bath and firing water at the genitals at high speed. Um... There had been a steam-powered machine called a trammeling table that had been invented. Oh, God. If you imagine a massage table, only the hole is at the other end, and then steam-powered paddles slapping at that <laughs> <laughs> you're not a million miles away. I don't know if I could relax in such a room. Well, if you didn't have it's a- got to be so loud. Well, if you didn't have access to the trammeling table or the hydrotherapy, you had the doctor's own digits. All of these methods were quite time-consuming and were not guaranteed to work, whereas Granville's percussor was found to be able to induce paroxysms in the women in a matter of minutes, pretty much every time. His invention... Is he, he going to lean into this? Oh, no. 
Oh, he's not. And he was particularly pissed when his invention was rechristened Granville's Hammer. Uh, and it was it was yeah he he tried to carry on with the stiff upper lip of the Victorian gent and the same year that his invention was renamed Granville's Hammer he published a book called Change as a Mental Restorative though it's likely that the change that he was speaking about was not quite what was going on with his invention at the time and within a year possibly pointing to his own mental state, he published a book called Common Mind Troubles. (laughs) So he was trying to carry on with his work and trying to ignore the fact that his invention, innocently invented to help with his gouty gentleman, was being used to pleasure women up and down England. Was he getting the money for it? No, of course he wasn't. Do you think that's why he was pissed? Oh, possibly as well. Uh, as his invention became more and more synonymous with treating hysteria, and Granville tried and tried to ignore it, uh, it wasn't going well. He published How to Make the Best of Life in 1881, which suggested moderation in drinking, eating and work. And he turned his attention to children the following year, trying to clean up his image, yeah. um, with youth, its care and culture suggesting that the early environment experienced by children has a significant impact on their personalities and future mental and physical well-being. And since then, we've learned that childhood trauma is one of the key indicators to pretty much all mental health and personality disorders that people get in later life. It's it's not the be-all and end-all, but if you experience mental trauma as a child... It's the foundation. It is the foundation for so much of these things. So again... He's still ahead of his time. He's still giving good sound advice in a series of books. And all of them are about 120 pages. They're very readable. He's a very, you know, engaging writer. But nobody is remembering him for any of these books. They're just remembering him for his hammer, which is the one thing he's ever done that he doesn't want to be remembered for. And finally... Not the funny pounder 5,000. (laughs) Well, finally... You're the guy! Funny pounder! Dude! (laughs) Yeah. Hammer! Do not call me that. Hammer! Every time we... We can't go anywhere without people just cheering. Woo-hoo. Pounding. Pud. Pounding. <laughs> He'd managed three years of ignoring it, and then he couldn't ignore the misuse of his invention anymore. He'd had he was enough. using it himself at home. I just can't ignore this. <laughs> no, he published Nerve Vibration and Excitation in 1883, in which he explicitly states that he has never percussed a woman, that he thinks hysteria is not a real medical malady, and actually... So it's not not that he's conservative, it's mm -mm. that it's undermining all the work he's done. Yeah, his entire work is, let's look at the true causes... he knows it's all bullshit. Yeah, let's look at the true causes that people feel mentally unwell, and let's try and address those. And what he's up against is a bunch of quacks who are saying to women, all of these things that you're feeling are linked solely to your womb and here's a catch-all cure and they're using his invention mm-hmm. to administer that cure that he believes is just quack hokum so he's really pissed off that he's been dragged into this seedy world because he doesn't believe that he believes that these women are unwell and they've took his name and yeah 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 you know he thinks they're unwell but he thinks what it's was it? something was it steam powered this one um no it was electric powered was it are you sure it was eventually, anyway. The later models were electric powered. I don't know what the first one would have been. Coal? No, because it was portable. It was handheld. If anyone knows, is it just like a you know like? Oh, he had to deal with yeah, Tesla whisks with the like the wheel on the side. That you... <laughs> he powered it by bees. Yeah. Because there are um, there's there's a, a rumor. I don't know if there's any historical merit to it that um, Cleopatra invented a vibrator where she filled a hollow tube with bees in order to get the vibrating effect. But I don't know if that's true. That seems a bit ridiculous. Well, yeah, but, you know, she she bathed in ass's milk, taking it straight back round. So if you can get a bath full of milk at a short notice, you can probably get someone to, to think stuff bees that, into a tube for you. I think you could stuff into that, um, that hollow dildo that's less dangerous than bees. But buzzes. Yeah, I mean, crickets, it's... maybe? They vibrate the knees quite quick, don't they? And you... I mean, she she can pull strings to get any 
insect, can't she? Well, to be honest, she can pull strings. She could have anyone do whatever she wanted anyway. So it seems a bit, you know. Yeah. Like she's over-engineering a problem that isn't really there. I am I'm calling bullshit on that one. Jim. But yeah. So Joseph publishes this book, which he wants to be, you know, his final word on this. That it's bullshit. He doesn't believe in it. He's never percussed a woman, nor will he. Uh, and he actually also then provides a list of all the ways that his invention could be used that might be of actual medical benefit. Um, it didn't convince too many people, unfortunately. No, they were in love. And defeated, in 1885, Granville produced his last book, A Comprehensive Guide to Gout and Its Treatment. Hammer time. It was his final attempt to be remembered for something other than mechanising woman's orgasms. People do remember him for other things now, though. No. Sadly, it failed. Right, so you're, you're sort of... You're helping him out. I want to, because I, I want him to be remembered for what he was, rather than for an invention that was not invented for the purpose it was put to. Joseph Mortimer Grenville died on November 23rd, 1900. Feeling a bit silly. Yeah. His invention would be refined, and in 1902, a smaller model was put on sale in America for self-treatment purposes. It was the fifth domestic appliance to be electrified. There you go, there you're you asking. Go. And it sold So what was it made pretty from well. before? I don't know. Joe. I don't know. I can't think of how... So it's not steam power because it's handheld. It, well... No, the, the implement could be... The implement might have been handheld, but the, the engine running it. Yeah, you've got a separate room. But people are like, I don't know, what would they be doing? Well, it was powered in some way. We yeah, know that. You have a sort of a wheel that runs by a river and that <laughs> turns some cogs. We don't know. But in America, it's electrified now. And eventually, the availability of a personal massager caused a terminal decline in medical massage as a means of treating hysteria. And amazingly, as the potential to make money out of treating the condition declined, doctors did away with the entire diagnosis in 1952. Right. So it's it's almost like the entire history of hysteria was it was first used as a means of controlling women so that they'd stay with their husbands and have regular sex and have babies. And And then then it was monetized. And when both of those things were thrown out of the window, it suddenly wasn't an illness anymore. It's funny that, isn't it? So in a way, Joseph Granville was the cause of hysteria being seen for the sham diagnosis that it had always been. He didn't live to see that. not the way he intended. Yeah. Yeah. But I like to think that at least, you know, that knowledge would have pleased him. Mm. He also didn't live to see himself being portrayed by Hugh Dancy in the 2011 film Hysteria, which ignores his marriage completely suggests that he spent years manually massaging the downstairs areas of women and that he invented the percussor with the express purpose of staving off repetitive strain injuries. Oh, God. I'm guessing he'd be less pleased about that portrayal. That's awful. (laughs) Yeah. Today, you can buy a vibrator in the UK without the stigma of hysteria. Though you best not take it to Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, India or the Maldives, as you could be arrested. Also, avoid Alabama in the good old US of A as they criminalised sex toys in 1998. They criminalised them in? In Alabama. It is illegal to own a sex toy. That's mental. And that's been on the statute books for, what are we talking, 22 years now. Mm. Mm. Oh dear. But that is the story of Joseph Granville and his unfortunate invention. Or fortunate invention. Well, fortunate in some ways, but for him personally, it means that all of the work that he did, all of the positive work that he did, has completely been bypassed by history. And if you search his name in Google now, every single thing that you see will just be <laughs> invented dildo, right. invented massager, invented sex toys. He was a Victorian porn smut merchant. And none of it is true. So where did you get all your, all your information from? A deep dive. I did a deep dive and I looked into all the other work that oh, he'd done. Oh, you went deep. I've, yeah, I read a few of his books. They're really, really good. And the best bit is, the forward's at the start of everything. He's so humble. He's like, look, I am a doctor, but this is just me pottering about. There are much more learned men on 
each of the things I discuss and I would be happy to take their advice and support if they want to comment or, you know, sort of take any of these bits and add to them. That'd be great. All I'm looking to do is to improve the, the well-being and the lot of the people of Britain. So his entire life, he just wanted to improve the health of the nation and to provide did, some but sucker. He hasn't got his name to it. Well, I guess because of the Google search. Yeah, I mean, what would you like to be remembered for? I, I mean, there's very little chance I'm going to be remembered, but I don't know. I'd like to be remembered as being generally a nice person to have around. If people occasionally remember me and go, "Oh yeah." He was good. <laughs> he was funny. I think the nicest the nicest thing, and I didn't realise this, was when, um, I think it was you or Harry, after um, we'd had all the thing with mum uh, and, you know, that lead up to her funeral. And it might have been you or it might have been Harry said to me, like, way later, it's like, it was really good that you just, you turned up and you were just, just normal. You were just yeah, normal yeah. and goofy and making jokes and yeah. trying to make us play stupid games. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like, just made it seem like everything would be okay again at some point yeah, yeah. at the time you were really insensitive but looking back at it it was nice to have that so maybe that's it insensitive in a good way no it was it was nice because it, it was a nice break because mm. you weren't there all the time no but when you came it sort of just stopped everything it's yeah like, okay we're, we're climbing out <laughs> and de-stress for a minute yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I hope you enjoyed your Valentine's Day episode nah and it was great. <laughs> I think the only thing that I can offer in lieu of playing an instrument at your wedding is that we play out that episode in its entirety, dedicated to your love. Yeah. Or you could you could give me a gift. This is the gift. It's and, a- and not a personal massager. <laughs>